Uh, Dr. Cooperberg actually has already talked a little bit about this, and I'm, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper uh, into trying to understand the genetics and genomics of prostate cancer and the implications uh, for, for care. So, so what do I mean? And I, and I want to just uh, dive in a little bit deeper um, into the structures of uh, cancer cells. And really, these cells are made up of DNA, RNA, and proteins, just like many of the other cells and all other cells in our body. The sequence of the DNA, the A's, the T's, the G's, or the C's, are really the blueprint, these three billion or so bases in the human genome. And uh, one of the things that we are trying to understand is how does uh, this uh, constellation uh, of DNA bases, how does it drive uh, two main characteristics of prostate cancer? One is how does it drive uncontrolled proliferation so that these cells continue to divide uh, and don't know when to stop? And how does it evade or escape uh, normal cell death mechanisms that our bodies have to get rid of cells that we don't want? And so many of the efforts that, that we've been uh, diving into as a prostate cancer program here at UCSF has really been to try to understand and um, uh, illuminate the mutations that can occur in prostate cancer. And what do I mean by genetics and genomics? Again, Dr. Cooperberg talked a little bit about this, but we're trying to understand what's going on at the DNA level. This DNA forms the blueprint to form what we call messenger RNA. Uh, so what mutations occur when this step from this step goes awry? And then this messenger RNA actually gets translated in, into protein. And so what are the protein changes uh, that, that, that might be uh, detrimental that can cause a cancer cell to become a cancer? And so really trying to understand the basic mechanisms of, of each one of these processes. And in fact, it's actually even more complicated than that. You know, we oftentimes talk about DNA in a linear fashion. And in fact, what we know is that DNA is not in a, uh, you know, in a linear array in our bodies, but is actually wrapped around these proteins called histone proteins, which can themselves have a three-dimensional architecture. And these, these histone proteins that the DNA is wrapped around can actually be mutant uh, or mutated in cancer cells. And then they're actually formed in these highly three-dimensional structures um, uh, called chromatin or chrom chromosomes. So how can genetics and genomics be important to, 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 to your care? I put three um, uh, kind of main ways that I use uh, genetics and genomics in my clinical practice. One is trying to identify mutations uh, that might put a patient or his family at risk for developing prostate cancer. So these are mutations that might be transmittable between generation to generation. And like Dr. Cooperberg discussed, you know, has implications for how we uh, undergo and recommend early detection and PSA screening. Another area that we use this is uh, trying to understand patients with localized prostate cancer. And you heard about using the Gleason score uh, to try to predict uh, indolent versus aggressive disease. And we can now actually use genomics to try to also further understand even a patient with Gleason 8, you know, these different subtypes, these different architectures that pathologists have long uh, known about, you know, what are actually the biological underpinnings that really separate what we call the kittens from the tigers, you know, patients with more indolent disease versus more aggressive disease that need to be managed much more aggressively. 
And then uh, thinking about using genomic testing to help patients determine the best next treatment. Uh, and this is uh, you know, what I term trying to identify the Achilles heel within the cancer that we might be able to uh, successfully attack. So, you know, we've been uh, doing this here at UCSF over the last decade. Actually, this is um, uh, work by our group led by Dr. Small and Dr. Fang, who you'll hear from in, in, in just, a, uh, just a little bit as well. And we've really been uh, trying to understand all of these different genomic changes and genetic changes within our patients. And to do this, we've uh, done multiple biopsies now over, over the last decade, both tissue biopsies, as well as what we call liquid biopsies, looking at DNA that is actually shed from the tumor cells um, that can circulate freely in the blood that we can now detect and, and sequence. We utilize a number of different novel uh, technologies um, to, to look at the DNA sequence, the RNA sequence, looking at something called the epigenomics, um, and, and, and really trying to understand and characterize all the diverse changes that exist uh, you know, within patients. And from the blood markers, looking at these two other um, uh, sequencing technologies to look at the architecture of the DNA, the 5-HMC and ATAC sequencing. This has really led us to, um, to publish a number of really seminal studies over the last five years. I'm just highlighting four of these uh, publications published in some of the, 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 the best journals uh, in our field, um, really you know, shedding light on just the diversity of, of, of prostate cancer. Now, there are mutations that you can inherit from your patients. We call these germline mutations that can increase uh, the cancer risk if they are transmitted from generation to generation. And this is a test uh, that we do for all patients with, uh, with high-risk disease or metastatic disease. Just showing you um, a, a paper that was published about five years ago now in the New England Journal in which uh, there was a number of different uh, cohorts that were studied, about 690 patients. And about 11.5%, 11.8% of those patients actually had one of these germline mutations in a DNA damage repair uh, pathway gene. We'll talk a little bit more about why this is important in, in just a couple of slides. But just to say that um, even mutations that we didn't used to think would be prevalent in prostate cancer, like BRCA mutations, which you know, was very well known to, to cause breast cancer, that's what the BR and the CA actually stand for, were actually found in about 44% of the 12% of patients who had these inheritable mutations. We also are looking for these somatic mutations, these mutations that are acquired on top of the mutations that you get from your mom and dad that can occur throughout your lifetime, whether it's because of exposures to things that we eat or uh, things that we cannot control like sunlight and things like that. And these uh, cannot be transmitted of you know to your biological children, but actually are mutations that may affect your treatment. And I'm just showing you actually a, a, a figure panel from from one of our big studies that was published about four years ago now. And the details of, of, of this panel aren't important, but what I would want you to notice is that each column is actually a separate patient. And what you can see is that when we look at this array of about 40 different cancer-causing uh, genes, no one patient, no two patients actually, have the same mutation profile. In other words, every single column, if you look down, 
has a different mutation profile. So what that's really telling us is uh, highlighting di the diversity of, uh, of the building blocks for each individual patient's uh, cancer, which is what we're trying to understand. So to kind of summarize that statement, the genetic and genomic building blocks of each individual patient's prostate cancer are different. And what we're really asking now is how should this affect the way that we recommend treatments to our patients? And we're really just at the inception of this um, uh, and, and just wanted to show you two examples of this. This is actually data um, published about four years ago from Dr. Fang's group, looking at a genomic classifier, patients with a high genomic score and patients with a low genomic score and how they do with radiation therapy. And what you can see from their findings is that for patients who had a high genomic score who received radiation in red or who did not receive radiation in blue and looked at the cumulative incidence of metastasis on the y-axis over time since surgery on the x-axis, you can see that patients who got radiation did a lot better than the patients who didn't get radiation because these patients had a lower incidence of metastasis. On the other side of the plot are patients with a low genomic score. And you can see here that these patients actually did the same whether or not they got radiation. Okay, the blue and the red lines completely overlap. So this is now being used in, in clinical practice to try to help us understand which are the patients that might benefit the most from radiation therapy. Let me give you another example of this. Um, and this is an example that was uh, really discovered by our cancer center director, Dr. Alan Ashworth, looking at this subclass of uh, uh, patients with BRCA mutations, again, uh, patients that have this uh, mutation in DNA damage repair, and a class of drugs called PARP inhibitors. And from this clinical trial, uh, which was published about uh, seven years ago now, and has been now validated in multiple clinical trials, uh, randomizing hundreds of men with and without this mutation, what you can see is that patients with this mutation in blue, this BRCA mutation, have a much longer survival um, on this therapy than patients without this mutation. So you can see this is actually a, what we call a Kaplan-Meier curve. This is the proportion of patients who are alive on the uh, y-axis uh, over time. And you can see that patients on this therapy have a much longer um, chance of staying on this therapy than patients who do not have this mutation. So it is helping us select uh, patients who might most benefit from this type of therapy. We know that the genetics actually can alter the cancer surface proteins um, uh, that we think are very, very important. We'll hear a lot about PSMA today. And the reason why this is important is because if we understand the surface proteins on cancer cells, we can actually use drugs and target them uh, specifically to the cancer. What we also know is that there are certain genetic subtypes uh, of cancer uh, that does not respond um, to PSMA-targeted therapy. So we're just uh, at the beginning of learning about what these uh, subtypes are and developing therapies against uh, some of the proteins expressed in those unique subtypes, like this uh, particular um, uh, subtype characterized by protein of, uh, called DLL3. And in fact, we can actually develop uh, drugs specifically targeting DLO3, just showing you here cancer cells labeled in red um, uh, that, that can be killed by immune cells uh, that specifically go after uh, DLO3 expression. 
So what I hope to leave you with is that um, this idea that we can really try to start classifying patients based on their genetics and their genomics um, and, 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 and really highlighting the different uh, mutations that can occur and really starting to think about you know, drugs that specifically go on and attack the Achilles heel in each of these different subtypes. So in, in this very simple cartoon, you know, patients who have mutations that are characterized by pink mutations might go on a, on a pink pill as opposed to patients who have a blue mutation who would might be benefit uh, from a blue pill and so on and so forth. So I'll end and just say that uh, all of this, this research really uh, is dependent on our interdisciplinary team to really advance prostate cancer care from the research that goes on in the lab and, and training residents and fellows and, and, and postdoctoral uh, scholars in, in the lab to all the different attendings that you'll hear from today uh, to really try to advance prostate cancer care uh, for our patients. And so with that, uh, thank you uh, and your families today for listening, and I'd be happy to take any questions. So John, I have, uh, and I'll screen them for you. So can I, a question that was asked uh, is, if I have prostate cancer, am I at increased risk for other cancers? And specifically what I'd like you to address, John, is A, what other cancers, and B, what are the genetic circumstances? What stages of cancer and who should be tested for this and, and what is involved in that testing? Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great that's a great question. It's a very complicated question. And, and, I, and I'll say that the short answer is that it depends on, on what the mutation uh, is. This is where we really involve our uh, genetic counselors uh, here at UCSF within our cancer center that is embedded within our um, our, our prostate cancer program, both on the urology, radiation oncology, and medical oncology sides. And so, uh, so for example, let me give you one example of, uh, of, uh, of a patient who might have a BRCA mutation that runs in their family. So absolutely, uh, uh, patients with BRCA mutations are at risk for developing other cancers. So for my BRCA patients, I actually have them not only see the genetic counselors that talk about screening for their family members because they can affect both uh, sons and daughters that they may have, um, uh, but also screening for themselves. So for example, um, patients with BRCA2 mutations are at increased risk for developing melanoma. And so I have them go see the dermatologist to make sure they do an annual skin exam. They're also at risk uh, if they have a family history of uh, pancreatic cancer, um, at risk for developing pancreatic cancer. So I have them go see um, our, uh, our, our GI colleagues to do pancreatic cancer screening, which includes you know, MRIs and, and, and potentially endoscopies. So this is really tailored. And, and, and I think um, uh, the other short of the answer is it's really tailored to each individual patient, their family circumstances. And so we're trying to, to instead of having a one-size-fit-all approach, really having an individual approach for, for each individual patient and their family. Thanks, John. So I would, I would also, I would answer the question that was asked specifically by saying, not every prostate cancer patient is at risk for these other cancers. The, people who, the patients who are at risk are patients who carry one of these genetic mutations. In metastatic patients, that's only about 12% of patients. So it's a minority. In early stage cancer, it's even less. 
guidelines suggest that high-risk localized prostate cancer and men with metastatic cancer all get a familial genetic testing. Super easy. It's a spit test or a blood test. And again, the vast majority of patients will be negative. But if you carry that gene, then it's important to understand because A, you might be at risk for other cancers. B, as Dr. Chow alluded to, there's specific treatments. And C, you would want to know so for your family. And, and this is, you know, and, and the other thing that I'll add is that the genetic tests that we uh, order right now, the clinical approved genetic test, you know, tests about 80 different genes that we know are highly associated with prostate cancer and other cancer types. But of course, there's about 20,000 genes in our in the human body. And so, you know, so so there's a lot more research to be done about how all those other genes might interplay into uh, determining an individual's cancer risk. And that's where the next generation of research that we're doing, you know, really makes a big difference because we do we have to understand how these other genes work in combination. Thanks, John. So uh, just to, to clarify, because I'm looking at the questions, uh, John, can you distinguish between somatic testing, which changes over time, and germline testing, which doesn't? So the question was, how often should I have my genetics tested? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So your germline testing is what you get from your mom and dad. That does not change over time. And those are the genes that you get in every single cell of your body, whether it's your hair cell, your, your, uh, your skin cells, your blood cells. And so those are, you know, you only need to do that testing once because that set of genes is stable. Now, this, the genes that are in the, uh, that are acquired, that are in the prostate cancer cells can evolve over time. And that's where our biopsy program really uh, has been sort of the state of the art, because most cancer centers around the country do not repeat biopsies over the course of treatment for our patients. And this is particularly important for patients with more advanced disease who have, met, uh, who have developed metastases. And what we know is that during the courses of treatment as tumor cells are first sensitive and then become resistant, that additional mutations in the tumor cells can be acquired. And this is where our metastatic biopsy program and doing liquid biopsies really has shed the light on the types of mutations that can occur over, over time. So while I can't uh, exactly speak to how often you should be getting uh, this, because really there are no guidelines that, that, that recommend more than one biopsy at this point, what we are understanding is that these mutations do evolve over time uh, and that oftentimes us in the geomedical oncology program will recommend doing another biopsy if it's been years and years and years since your last biopsy so that we can get a fresh look at what's going on in, in the tumor.